The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, the Eightfold Path uh, clearly has a purpose. And the purpose comes out of the Four Noble Truths. The purpose of the Eightfold Path is to help us to realize the potential in the Four Noble Truths, especially the first three, the potential to bring suffering to an end, uh, to release ourselves from the clinging. And that's important to keep in mind that the Eightfold Path has a purpose because um, otherwise uh, a person might think that there's some divine obligation or a divine truth written in the cosmic stones, something that this is the way things are and this is what you have to believe. The Eightfold Path is a pragmatic approach to fulfill a purpose if you have this purpose. And so right view <coughs> could be seen by some people and who are troubled by it with the idea that, oh, here you come. I, they're coming for a while and now finally they're going to tell us you have to believe in something. You know, I knew there was a creed here. <laughs> and then finally we're going to get it and I guess I'm out of here. And um, as if, you know, there's a right, you know, right, I mean, what a terrible thing, right. You know, you, some, some people love and in the modern kind of spiritual circles to say there's no right and wrong. You know, right is subjective and right is kind of moralistic or puritanical. And, and, um, but the idea of right, uh, as I understand it, the word sama, means that it's the um, same meaning as the word right tool. Uh, you want to use the right tool for the job. If you have uh, to um, need to uh, screw in a screw, uh, you don't get the jackhammer for that. That would be the wrong tool, uh, the inappropriate tool, the tool that wouldn't get the job done. And so the, the right in the, each of these Eightfold Path of the Right, it, these are the tools that are the right tools for a particular purpose, to be free of suffering. And so uh, the view, the perspective, uh, is that this is the useful perspective to have if your purpose is to become free of suffering. You don't have to, you're not supposed to ad- adopt this view in the, you know, like it's supposed to be a good view to have. And, but rather, if this is what you want, is to become free of suffering, this is a useful view to have. Um, or I like the word perspective. I know that uh, one teacher um, calls it a, uh, a um, frame of reference. It's not like it's an abstract truth, but rather it's a frame of reference through which to look in, at your experience, at your life. So, um, there are two, uh, generally for practitioners, the Buddha uh, specified two forms of right view. And the first one had to do with uh, kind of like a belief or a view or perspective that um, there is cause and effect. That things arise because of, um, they're, in a fe- they're in a stream of cause and effect. And uh, if, what, if you participate in that stream of cause and effect by causing something, by making some, doing something, that that's going to have consequence. That what you do has consequences. So if you um, lie to your best friend, 
it, and they find out about it, that it's going to probably going to have some kind of consequences. Um, if you uh, spend a lot of time being angry at traffic lights, and you have to go into a lot of traffic lights, probably at the end of the day you'll be stressed out. You'll have a headache from all this anger and fury at traffic lights. They're never green enough. And um, it has consequence uh, if you have, how you are. Uh, how, you, how you are, what you do, uh, doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't just go poof just because you've done it. But there are psychological consequences from what we do repeatedly, what we do. Some things we do are just very mild and light, and maybe there's very little ripples in the mind. And other things have much bigger impact on the mind. And uh, the ramifications, the repercussions of this can go on for a lifetime. Um, the, um, uh, you know, you could, they say that you can, you know, it might take, a, uh, you know, a long time to develop a good friend and just two seconds to ruin the friendship by saying the wrong thing. So, you know, you can do things and have consequences in the world, have consequences inside of you. So part of this right view is to appreciate that, um, that what you do has consequences, cause and effect. And that you can have choice over both what you do and to some degree then on the consequences of that. Um, and, that uh, and that it's useful to have the view that you have, that you're a player in this. You're a player in the stream of cause and effect. That you participate in it. And that you're efficacious. What you do makes a difference. Without that belief, uh, without that view or that perspective, a lot of human endeavors wouldn't happen. Uh, you, you wouldn't learn a new language. If, or learn a new musical instrument or learn a new craft. Unless you felt that uh, uh, taking the time to learn it is uh, is going to result in you learning it. <laughs> there's a uh, by by studying the books, reading, practicing, whatever. There's a consequence to what happens. Uh, it's a pretty ordinary thing. We expect that in many many endeavors in our life, and in and in that part of uh, the, the reference point the Buddha gave often for the practice of the path, he likened it to the, uh, to a developing a craft. So a craft is a skill that you learn. And you only you have to have belief that you that it's worthwhile to practice the craft because then you'll master it, you'll learn it to some degree. So this is a craft, the craft of freedom of liberation, and it's a craft that we can learn to do. And what we practice, what we do, and the choices we make make a difference. Without that, without some belief and some confidence in that, there's not going to be much uh, uh, willingness and interest and much oomph behind. Uh, doing something like any any pieces of the Eightfold Path, because you're going to say, well, what well, does it matter? It doesn't matter what I do, or I can't do it, and you know, so you know, so so that's the first uh, form, first perspective or of right view that the Buddha gave. Make sense? Do you have any questions about that? Because it's so important. In um, Buddhist language, it's called karma. This is what karma is. So you have to. So they say a useful perspective is the understand or useful understanding is the, the kind of understanding or the belief in karma. If you don't believe in karma, what that means in Buddhist language, in the language of the of the Buddha in the Pali Canon, if you don't believe in karma, what you're saying is you don't make you don't believe that you can make a difference. 
That's what it means. Isn't that interesting? So, no one's asking questions. Yes. It's, oh, you make very good karma if you ask questions. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people think of karma. I think in the West, karma is often associated with um, reincarnation. And I think, uh, I, I understand that it's not that necessarily that way. In, but Buddhists, in don't use, Buddhists don't use yeah. the word reincarnation. Yeah, I thought that might be confusing to yeah, people. Yeah. Uh, so f- uh, a lot of Buddhists believe in rebirth. There's multiple lives in a certain kind of way. Not all Buddhists believe that. But uh, the, uh, the uh, karma literally means action. That's what it means. And the Buddha said that um, the, the actions have consequences. And the consequences of the action that he's interested in, that he focuses on, is a consequence that comes from the intention that motivated the action. So the intention is what's most important. Uh, you, could, um, uh, you can take a knife and cut into someone, another person. The intention of what you're doing makes a huge difference. Um, you know, if, 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 it's, if it's my neighbor upset with me for using a leaf blower, that's one thing. If it's my neighbor further down the street, this morning I talked to him. We have a surgeon who lives down the street. And, um, and if I need surgery, he puts the knife in. It, you know, he has a very different intention, right? So you have two similar looking things, but the intention is what kind of counts, right? So the intention is what causes the, so consequ- the kind of consequence we're looking at. And th- those consequences can play out immediately and they can play out over time. And once you have, understand that some consequences happen through time, if you believe in that, uh, that your life continues into future lives, then, uh, then it's easy to imagine that those consequences keeps, keep playing themselves out in future lives. If you, you know, if you, um, if you, you know you're dying tomorrow, and so then you, uh, you overspend your credit card, uh, you take that karma, you take the consequences of that with you into the next life and you'll end up being born a miser. There's a lot, there's a lot of superstition or supernatural beliefs or kind of uh, uh, connected to this karma. So, so there are some, a lot of strange ideas around it. Um, but the, um, the independent of, of the multiple birth, it's the same, whether it's multiple birth or one lifetime, it's the same idea that what you do makes a difference. Yes, if you can wait for the mic, please. So, Gil, I don't understand the intent part. So, in other words, like, if you accidentally push a wheel, it's going to roll. Right. Or if you intentionally push the wheel, it's going to roll. Right. Well, the intention has a lot to do in the, in the field of law. If you, intentionally, if you intentionally push the person off the bridge, the law is going to look at that very differently than if you just happen to just bump into them. The intention is recognized as being a very important part of any moral consideration. I guess the part I don't understand is like when you're talking about law, okay, so there's a jury and a judge who decide. Who, right. Who's deciding here? What, you, you, what's going to have an effect and what isn't? Probably your heart. Your own heart, your own conscience. You know, you'll know. 
<laughs> okay, so um, so I think an interesting topic for, for each of you to consider is what is your relationship to your own efficacy? What is your relationship to being um, to uh, being responsible for the choices you make? What is your re- what is your relationship? to the, the, the idea that what you do can make a difference. Do you believe that you can make a difference? So not, not in the world at large, uh, but maybe, but uh, in terms of your own uh, spiritual life, your own inner life, your own heart, um, the, the freedom of your, of your life, the liberation, capacity for compassion. Do you believe that you can change yourself? Do you believe that, you have, that what you do, you can make choices? You believe it that you that yes, in theory you can, but you don't really believe that you have what it takes. This is all sound very good, but it's really meant for super people, people who are you know great spiritual adepts and all this. And you know, I'm lucky if I kind of get manage to direct my attention to half a breath, you know, let alone a whole breath. You know, just like hopeless for me. I feel you know I believe in this stuff, but it's you know I don't believe in myself. So in particular, what I'd like you to see, your relationship to your, your the confidence you have in yourself. Do you, are, you have confidence that you can make a difference? Do you believe that what you do makes a difference? Do you have confidence in that? Are you interested in that? Uh, would you rather have your spiritual life handed to you by someone else and not do anything your own, on your own? What is, what is your relationship to the idea that, um, uh, to your, your confidence that you can make a difference here? Does that make sense? And um, now again, as before, uh, given the people you're talking with, you don't have to share anything you don't want to share. Um, you know, if it's too tender or too makes you feel vulnerable. So figure out something that, you know, if you feel like you don't want to hold something back, that's fine. Just share what feels appropriate to you. And but the, in the form, I'd like to do the same one we did this morning, the first time this morning, this time with groups of four, and that is uh, to go around the circle, offer something, but relatively brief, and not so brief that it's just a telegram, but you know, offer something that's relatively brief, like you're offering something to the group, to the circle, to the collective circle, and then let everyone else offer something and let them come back to you and see what that has sparked for you, and then offer something else, and then let it go around. And, uh, and see where, together as a group, where your group, the group mind in a sense, the group collective uh, group, where you go with this and what happens as you kind of go around and around with this topic of efficacy, your own efficacy, uh, your confidence in your own e- efficacy. Does that give you enough sense of what the topic is? Question. Yes. Is this mostly internal and not external? Yeah, 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 yeah. You, like, like, you, know, you know, you don't have to talk about your, how, effic, effic, eff, how much efficacy you have for influencing the presidential election. You know, or stopping global warming. You, you could if you want, but, uh, but since the Eightfold Path has to do with this kind of the Buddhist path, the spiritual path, the inner path, mostly, I think that's where it's most important for today. So groups of four, and if you don't find a group of four, why don't you come towards the front? That helps us find out what's going on and I'll help, uh, if we're not quite four, I'll help the extra people find a place. Now, um, after that discussion, do you have any questions?
Oh, it all became clear. Yes? Thank you. Um, one of the things that came up, and I missed part of the instruction, but we were sort of talking about is the question how successful you feel at um, sort of incorporating your own change using the Eightfold Path. Is that yeah, kind of right that's the question? So one thing that came up is is what what is success? Um, and mm. if you don't quite reach that success mark, whatever that looks like, what did you learn in the process? Great, that's good. Then you're successful. <laughs> <laughs> the... Um, the, uh, so I don't think I used the word success, but it was efficacious. How can you make you feel like you make a difference? Do you feel like you can make a difference? And difference is measured by some change, and so you could call it success. You want something, and does it happen? And um, so there's a variety of different things you can measure yourself by uh, when you practice the path. One is you become a nicer person. Some, pe- some people like that. Uh, are you helpful to other people more? Other people, uh, are you calmer? Are you more at peace? Do you le- are you less, less conflicted, less conflicted with yourself? Less, less conflicted with the world outside? Are you left criti- less critical to yourself? Less hard on yourself? Um, are you, um, so you can measure, you can kind of get a sense of those things over time. Is it easier for you to, you, you know, is, it, is, it fear, is fear operating less? Is cynicism operating less? Is bitterness operating less? There's a lot of things you can kind of, you can kind of measure and see, you know. Um, as you get to, as you get mindful of yourself, you kind of have this uh, kind of you have a sense of you know how you are now, and you have a sense how that changes over time. And are you more joyful? Is there more joy in your life? Are you happier? Um, so there's those kinds of criteria. So then there's other more specific criteria along the path. Like there's you know it, uh, each each step of the eightfold path has a kind of purpose you know to itself. So um, like for right speech, are, is your is your speech actually improving? You know, are you lying less? You know, you can probably, you know, hopefully, hopefully you can know that if if you are lying, or you know, are you are you are you being you know gossiping less or something? Uh, are you, um, you know, are you in terms of your behavior? Are you uh, stealing less? Are you taking advantage of people less? Are you uh, drinking less alcohol or no alcohol at all? You know, what kind of changes have you done? For right concentration, you can. Are you getting more concentrated? You feel like you can stay more stable and focused. Is your mindfulness getting stronger? So those are all things that you can measure to some degree. The danger with this kind of language, this kind of approach of measuring yourself, comparing how you go, being efficacious, being the agent for change, is it's a magnet for all kinds of uh, painful associations and ideas. So. <clears throat> um, uh, it's a setup for failure, right? And you know, you, if you if you have a standard and you're trying to get someplace, then uh, you can fail and you can be miserable. You can be worse off than you were before because you know you've been hitting your head against the wall and you don't get anywhere, or you don't go. You maybe got a little bit, but your friend got a lot far further. <laughs> and so then you know the jealousy and comparison comes into play, or um, the whole idea of being efficacious means that you're the one who's efficacious. But then, uh, what, what's your views of self? And there might be a lot of conceit that goes into into the, uh, the into views of self. So rather than some innocent sense of yes, I can make a difference. Um, uh, so like you know, can you know most of you most of you believe that you're efficacious enough, uh, uh, that brushing your teeth is efficacious enough, and that you have the ability to brush your teeth. 
you know, no one, no, most people don't question that. But if, if I ask, you know, are you efficacious? Can you really make a difference with your teeth? Can you do, and then you, know, you can get all this association of self and how people see me. Are people going to see me as being good, a good toothbrusher? <laughs> and then I brush my teeth the right way compared to other people. And it, people can tie themselves in knots very quickly. So, so it's, it's, it's kind of delicate to explore this whole area of uh, personal efficacy and all that. So I don't know if that was a, addressed to your concern, but... I went on and on, on. I apologize if I missed you. Yes? The question you asked brought up something interesting for me, which is I always think of making a difference as, did I cure cancer? (laughs) And I value that for whatever reason a thousand times more than just making a difference in my own life, Mm. which of course then spreads to people immediately around me. Yes. So you value that more. So is it valuing curing cancer more or is it disvaluing your own personal change? For some reason, buying into the societal view that I, to really, um, that I should really be making a difference, mm-hmm. writing a book or mm-hmm. leaving something tangible behind. Then, then, you've, then you've made it, you've proved yourself, you're worthy or something. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, that, that, you know, it's a, a, a pretty contagious belief. And sometimes families teach us that. Sometimes our society and teachers, many people do. And, um, and uh, I know some people who only feel like they get the love and respect of their family if they have, you know, some kind of worldly success like that. And so it becomes so important that they measure themselves that way. It's kind of sad um, that um, the... Um, and then you can also be a little bit oppressive the other way. I mean, it's a little bit oppressive to be around Buddhists. You know, like you have to be kind and show yourself becoming kinder. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that has its problems too. <laughs> the, the point is to be free and not to be caught up in self and measuring self in some attached way. Um, yes? Screen must be on. Uh, in our group, there were um, there were five of us, big group. There were very heartfelt, elegant, and extremely sincere expressions of um, attempts at being efficacious on individual paths. Uh, what the way it struck me, there were also. Um, just as heartfelt and strong expressions of failure. Oh, yes. It's very, and, uh, yeah, yeah it, it struck me as being sad. Mm-hmm. That this is a wonderful thing that we do. Um, I think it is a, a noble thing to strive for yeah. the path, walking the path. So um, what can you say about that? Well, if you, if, if you don't have some wisdom around failure, if you're not willing to fail and keep trying, um, you're in the wrong business. Because, uh, I mean, mostly Buddhist practices, mostly one failure after another, right? <laughs> I mean, just, just, just try to watch your breath for a while in meditation. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and what's your batting average? <laughs> So, but if you get caught, but if you get caught up in failure, if you get up, oh, you know, uh, you know, I 
was going to do, I was going to try to do three breaths today, but I got, you know, I got to one, and, you know, and um, if you get tied up in failure, then it's, uh, you, you know, you, it becomes a, a wind drag, it just slows you down, and you can tie yourself in knots. And there has to be a willingness to, um, uh, in many endeavors in life, willingness to fail, willingness not for it to work out, and we learn in the process, uh, we learn to improve, we learn how to, you know, what's needed in the situation, and so I think the ho- hopefully the idea in Buddhism is, you know, is understanding it. You know, if you use the language of failure, failure is built into it, and rather than being discouraged by it, actually be encouraged. Uh, use it as fuel. Like, okay, I'm going to try harder. I'm trying to understand better. And one of the things you can understand better is your relationship to failure, because there also that's a magnet for all these uh, cultural, familial uh, views about success and failure, and what counts and what doesn't count, and sense of self and how we're supposed to be, you know, what kind of person we're supposed to be, and, you know, we're not supposed to be a failure, you know. And I've met people who um, have conventionally failed at things, but have been more inspiring to me to be around them than people who have succeeded at things because of how they are. You know, they're peaceful, they're relaxed, they're generous, they're kind. Uh, uh, there's a certain ease to them and, and acceptance of what's happening. They're not giving up. Uh, and then I've had known people who succeeded in something brilliant, and I just feel uncomfortable around them. They're kind of like wearing it like a badge and beating, your, beating you up about it. And so I fail away. Fail away. There's a, there was a Zen teacher who said that uh, a Zen master's life is one continuous failure. And, uh, and maybe if you fail enough in, in doing Buddhism, you'll learn something about letting go, and, and then you'll succeed. <laughs> and if you, um, I, I tell people like, in terms of mindfulness practice, um, you, you can't fail in mindfulness practice because either you're doing it, and that works, right? Or if you can't do it, then that's that's a, not a failure. That means you have something interesting to look at, and then you then you're doing it. And I know people who, because of the problems that could come with um, being an agent, trying to accomplish something, the, the neurosis they bring to it and, and all that, that sometimes it's better not to just to relax and do nothing, and just kind of have a very spacious and open mind. But then I've also known people who shortchanged themselves, who uh, have um, held themselves back from applying and engaging in a way that they're quite capable of, but they felt afraid of it, either for themselves, they're afraid of failure, some people are, uh, I've known some people who are afraid of success because if they succeed, it's going to change their world or other people, will, other people don't like the fact that you succeed. And so th- this whole area of, of our ability to make a difference, being efficacious, especially in a spiritual way, is, uh, has, uh, has all kinds of issues that come up. And so it's useful to, to surface them and look at them honestly. And this is what I was hoping we would do today. Yes, so can we have the mic in the back? Coming. No, no. I thought I saw a hand out there. No. Okay. Okay. Oh, oh, Chris was the hand. I'm sorry, Chris. (laughs) What came up for me with this question was gratitude for the path being something that. I felt it was efficacious and that 
it was less of an emphasis on something that I had to do, you know, to make a change, to make a difference, to make things change, but it was something that, you know, was more watching, observing, allowing, seeing, listening, those sorts of things, and then it, that process was efficacious. So, so when you do that, which is a little bit more passive from the way mm-hmm. you describe it, I think, mm-hmm. then that puts you on a conveyor belt. Mm-hmm. and that carries you along that path. And you have mm-hmm. confidence in that conveyor belt that goes along. Mm-hmm. Not that there's nothing to do, but it's subtle. It's subtly paying attention, doing that. So for you, for you, that makes it do the subtle things. Yeah. And, um, but still, there's something for you to do. And you, and you, you believe yeah. in your efficacy to do those subtle things. Yes. And that they, yeah, right. But that's a different, somehow, that slightly different way of holding it. Uh-huh. Great. Thank you. Yes, one more, and then we'll... Uh, two people in our group commented that... Um, there was a sense of the path having this effectiveness of producing results, but uh, producing things that could never have been dreamed of. Uh-huh. And so it didn't seem like it was, therefore, something that was chosen or imagined or s- striven for, <laughs> strived for, um, but really something more that, um, and that it was almost better not to have ideas like that because then these things way beyond imagination may not come about. Uh-huh. So, uh, so yeah. So one of the examples for me is is uh, uh, getting concentrated in meditation. Uh, I, I I'm very clear that it's up to me that I have to put my time in. I have to do certain things to get concentrated. But I don't believe that I'm the one who gets concentrated. I have to be, I have to do something, but concentration comes to me, and I just have to patient. I don't I don't try to then manufacture concentration. I just try to bring the conditions together. I'm responsible for the conditions and getting the conditions lined up. And then sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. And, and uh, when it happens, it's uh, way beyond anything, you know, happens well, it's beyond anything I could have imagined earlier in my life. Okay. So I hope this was uh, maybe challenging for you, that it gives you something to think about and chew on for a while and to look at and explore. And some of these topics for Dharma Practice Days are really good topics to continue exploring after the, the day. So if you, can, if you have uh, some a good friend or companion or total stranger that you can uh, uh, kind of say, you know, ask them, you know, what do you think about this, <laughs> this thing? Or you know, we had this conversation and I wonder I can ask you what you think. To have a conversation with, this, with other people, I think you'll probably find that people <clears throat> will value it that if you bring it up, uh, there's good, good, good topics like this. So let's take, um, well, probably we need 15 minutes for a break, and then we'll come back to close. We'll finish at 3.30. So if we start no later than 5 to 3, that gives us 35 minutes for the last piece for today. <laughs>